There are indeed people and ideas in our world that can lead us to minimize who Christ is and they can lead us to even becoming uh, in bondage to the, to the ideas and things that they're promoting. In the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 and Paul has responded there to false teachers in Colossae who were trying to minimize Jesus. And if you remember, there were people saying things like, you know, Jesus is a good guy, but you need something else to go along with him. And in our day, those types of people have not gone away. And that's because the world and the flesh and the devil have not gone away. The world and the flesh and the devil will try to get you to follow other things, other philosophies, to pursue other experiences. But Paul says to them and to us, that Christ is sufficient, that He is supreme. And so if you have Him, you have everything that you need. Christ has saved you, He's redeemed you from the bondage of sin and worldliness. So why would you allow yourself to be under bondage to the world again? So Paul has made it his life work to explain the mystery of Christ and how to live in Him. And if you remember last week in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. So from that, we've we've seen that finding Christ, or accepting him into your life, however you want to say it, surrendering to him, is only the beginning. And that Christ intends for us to grow or to live in, the, in our faith. So how do we live in Christ? Well, that's what Paul is teaching on in the text this morning. in Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read and look at verses 6 through 12. And as we read through 6 through 12, just notice how many times you hear the phrase, In Him. Listen for that. In Him. How do we live in Him? Let's read chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So verse 6 there urges us to continue our Christian life just as it began in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So, so this is something that keeps moving. Um, it, it continues on in us. It's not 
a stagnant um, thing that stops. In the UK, uh, there's a place called uh, Morecambe Bay. And Morecambe Bay has quicksand. But if you move properly on that quicksand, you don't have to fall and get sucked in by it. So if you keep moving, if you continue, you don't have a problem. But if you stop, you start sinking and you get sucked in completely. This is the idea here that Paul is is telling us. So too, if you and I don't keep moving or growing in our Christian experience, we will start sinking. And, And the way to keep growing, he tells them, is not to seek some deeper truth. The way to keep moving, to live in faith in Christ who we have received. And so again this is this is not a stagnant thing, it's a continuing relationship. So we continue to believe the truth about Christ, not uh, allowing our faith in Christ's lordship or his authority to waver in any way because it was Christ who saved us. And so we don't then trade his divine authority over us for any kind of human authority or philosophy. In broader terms, living in Christ means living in union with Him. And it means uh, to maintain a lifestyle that's patterned after Him. In 1 John 2, 5 and 6, for example, it says, This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, are we living in Him day to day? And again, this is not perfection, but the word here means maturity. None of us are perfect, but we're in this process of living in Him. And from our text, how do we live in Christ? Well, verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So how do we live in Christ? Well, first of all, we see that we are rooted and built up in Him. And really, Paul gives us two pictures here. First, rooted, which is a word that describes a tree with deep roots in rich soil, which I think is a great description of a believer who's firmly planted in Christ. That eternal planting took place at salvation, and Christ then became the source of our spiritual nourishment, our growth, and our fruit. And so the scripture is very clear here, and I believe it's pointed right at you and I this morning. There's no way to misunderstand what God is saying. He's telling us that if you're going to make it as a Christian, you must be deeply rooted in Christ. We live in Him because we're rooted in Him. And the text says that as we live in Christ, we're also being built up in Him. Second picture that Paul gives, this word for built up, uh, it indicates continuous action. It's a word that describes a house that's being built on strong foundations. So rooted in Christ, being built up in Christ to withstand any storm because of our firm foundation. And then as you follow that verse, being firmly rooted in Christ and built up in Him results in believers being strengthened in their faith. And the passive voice of the word translated strengthened here indicates that it's God who will strengthen the believers. And so again, being built up and strengthened in our faith, it's an ongoing process. 
It's only possible because we're rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers are built up, and as they're strengthened, follow that verse, what happens? As we're rooted in Him, as we're built up, as we're strengthened in Him, the verse says, we begin overflowing with thankfulness. And that's how Paul writes it here. The last action of verse 7 of thankfulness, it's a response to the other three things that came before that. So, believers who are firmly rooted in Christ, being built up in Him and strengthened in their faith, will overflow with gratitude or thankfulness to God. Now, imagine uh, that someone gives you a bowl of sand, and the bowl of sand has some uh, tiny particles of iron in it. And then they tell you, I want you to remove the iron from the sand. Well, you have two choices or two ways to go about this. You can put your fingers and pull your fingers through the sand and search for these specks of iron, and you can maybe find a few in that way. Or you can put a magnet through the sand, and you can watch the magnet attract all these countless bits of iron. Two very different approaches, two very different results. But like the fingers in the sand, the grumbling heart finds very few mercies. But as the grateful heart moves through life, instead it finds countless blessings just as a magnet would find iron. And so of all the choices that we make in life, I think few affect us more powerfully than our choice between gratitude and grumbling. And if we honestly look at our lives, I think it will reveal what choice we've made. And if it's grumbling, then we tend to see very few blessings. But if it's gratitude, we not only find innumerable blessings, but they seem to find us. They're attracted to us like a magnet. The Bible teaches that a heart overflowing with thankfulness comes from being rooted and built up in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. And we're able to rejoice when we see the truth and the blessings in the Word of God. And then praise completes that circle in which the blessings that flow to us from God return to Him in the form of our praise and our adoration. And so this is a beautiful picture that Paul is painting for us here. As we live in Christ... We grow in Him and we become strengthened in our faith. And as a result, we give thanksgiving and praise to God. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to work. And some of you are already asking, though, well, okay, but how come every Christian isn't like that? Because I see Christians who are not growing. They aren't built up. They aren't strengthened. And certainly they're not thankful What's what's going on there? Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. And so after exhorting believers to live in Christ, verse 8 condemns the heresy that is diverting or distracting the Colossians from Christ. And the concern here is that no false teacher would take us captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And, and the thought here is not against all philosophy, but it's against false philosophy. 
And apparently the philosophy at Colossae was hollow and it was deceptive and it was based on human tradition rather than on Christ. True Christian philosophy, according to 2 Corinthians 10.5, takes captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. False philosophy is based on the world's basic principles. That's a worldly philosophy. That's a demonic philosophy. It's not God-like. It's not Christ-like. And so Paul is telling that us that unless believers are careful, these ideas or these philosophies can ensnare us and can take us captive. And the word for captive that he uses there means bondage or the bondage of slavery. So beware of the philosophy or the psychology that the world values, the Bible warns. They're vain. They're empty. They don't work. And so for matters of the heart and soul, we go to our Bible, for it alone contains the answers that we need. And yet we have this tendency to turn to man-made sources of wisdom. Maybe you've heard the story of... uh, a poor European family who saved money for years to buy tickets to sail to America. This is an old story. But once at sea, they carefully rationed the cheese and the bread that they had brought for the journey. And after three days, one of the boys began complaining to his father, I hate cheese sandwiches. If I don't eat anything else before we arrive, I'm going to die. Well, giving the boy his last nickel, the dad told him to go to the ship's galley and buy an ice cream cone. And after a long time had passed, the boy returned with a big smile on his face. And his worried worried dad asked him, where were you? In the galley, eating three ice cream cones and a steak dinner, he said. All that for a nickel? Oh no, the food is free. It comes with the ticket. The Apostle Paul warned his readers about false teachers who were offering them bread and cheese instead of steak. He he warns of relying on their own reasonings, their own self-effort, instead of trusting in Christ who had purchased their ticket for heaven. False teachers feed you a line in order to get you to follow them, their philosophy, instead of Christ and His Word. And we who have trusted Christ for salvation have been assured not only of safe passage to heaven, but everything we need to live for Him here and now. Christ has all that we need. It comes with the ticket. And so you live the Christian life the same way that you begin, by trusting Christ. You're rooted, you're built up in Him. And secondly, we're filled in His fullness. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who's the head over every power and authority. So Christ, or or Paul rather, returns again to the deity of Christ and his total sufficiency, reminding the Colossians, you don't need any other source or authority for your spiritual life. And Christ is not just another philosopher. He's not just another teacher. He's God. And so if you don't follow him, you're going to be following someone else and you're going to end up at another destination for your life than where he would take you. So who or what else do you need? 
Why search for meaning elsewhere? Why go beyond the creator of the world and and the creator of yourself? What else do you need, Paul is saying? Apart from Christ is emptiness. Because only in him, only in the creator, can you find your fullness for life. Because Christ is who he is, verse 10 declares that we have been made full in him. Now, as a result of the fall, as a result of sin in the world, man is in a sad state of incompleteness. He's spiritually incomplete because he's totally out of fellowship with God. And so don't let Christ be minimized in your life because each one of us needs Jesus Christ. And in him, Paul says, you have the source of blessings that supply your true needs. And in Him, you can grow to the fullness that He has for you. If you only live in Him, but you have to let Him lead. You have to allow Him to be the head or the authority. And since He possesses all the fullness of the deity, Christ is head over all rulers, and He's fully God forever. And so, this morning Paul is saying to you and I that Christ's reign in our lives is more than an external sign, like circumcision was for the Jews. Now, we don't think in this way. We don't have the Jewish mind or the culture, but the Jewish mind put great value on circumcision. But it was only an outward demonstration that man was born sinful and needed cleansing and needed to be set apart. And so the Jews saw circumcision... As a sign of the covenant, just as you and I see baptism today as a sign of God's covenant. Both of these signs Paul uses to illustrate the putting off of the old life that occurs at the moment of salvation. Paul explains to the believers in Colossae and to us that we are circumcised when we are surrendered to Christ. And this spiritual circumcision was done by Christ not by man, and in fact, it was a circumcision of our hearts. Now, since we don't think like the Jews, and this is uh, language that we don't connect with, let me use a different analogy of the new life that you and I have been given in Christ as believers. Uh, Many years ago, uh, when I was a a college student at Northwestern, uh, there was a chapel speaker that came. I still remember his name. His name was Keith Phillips. And he told an analogy that has stuck with me ever since. And so I want to share that with you. He said, let's suppose that you're flying a plane over Kansas. And all of a sudden the plane explodes and your body falls to the ground. And obviously you are dead on impact. There's no pulse, no heartbeat, no breath. Your body is cold. And so... A farmer digs a grave for you, but by the time he places your body in the earth, it's too dark to cover it, and so he decides to finish the job in the morning, and he returns home. And then during the night, Christ comes to you and he says, My child, you are dead. Your life on earth is over. But I will breathe into you the breath of new life if you promise to do anything I ask, And go anywhere I send you. Your immediate reaction could be, no way. That's unreasonable. That's slavery. But then hopefully you would realize 
that you're not in a good bargaining position right now. And you would wholeheartedly agree. And then instantly, your lungs and your heart and your other organs begin to function again. You come back to life. You are born again. And from that point on, no matter what Christ asks you to do or what he, where He asks you to go, you'd be more than willing. Nothing would seem unreasonable. Why? Because you would have no claim on, on your life. You would remember that you're living on borrowed time. And it's Christ's time. Isn't that exactly what Paul is describing in our text this morning and also in Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So my friends, as believers in Christ, you were a dead person. You were dead in your sin without Christ. Your life was over totally separated from God, no hope of getting to Him. But our our text says in verse 12, that having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. So, this may be a little bit different than what you're used to hearing, but this is what the Bible says. In fact, let me just pause for a minute. I heard a friend on Friday at the men's Bible study, he was trying to reach out to another friend who didn't know the Lord or who wasn't living in Christ. And the friend told him, no, I tried that. I tried that. I tried living the good life. It didn't work. And I thought about that, and I thought, no, that's he, he missed it. He missed the point. God doesn't come to us and say, hey, here's a bunch of rules. Now be good. We're dead. We're completely dead. And so he comes to us and he says, do you want life? And not only does He give us life, but He gives us the Spirit to enable us to live in Him. Now, are we perfect at that moment? No. It's a process, as I said. But as Romans 6.6 6 says, Our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. There's that idea of bondage again. As a result, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Though sin is still present, believers have been freed from sin's dominance and judgment. We've been given new life, the life of Christ. We live in Christ because we're rooted and built up in Him. We're filled in His fullness. And lastly, because by faith we are buried and raised up in Him. Paul uses the outward signs of circumcision and baptism to illustrate what God does in us inwardly. Through faith in Christ, we die to self, we're cleansed, we're renewed by the active power of God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so, if you're saying, hey, God can't deal with my sin, my sin is too great. No, this is the creator of the universe. This is the the one who rose from the dead. This same power is the same power that he offers as he dwells in us. I was going to show a video illustrating a testimony. I'm going a little bit long this morning, so I'm not going to show that video. But but the point that I want you to get is that this is a living, active faith. That people set out, first of all, um, to try to live for God 
hoping that God will bless them, hoping that they can get by. And at the same time, they're buying into the philosophies of the world. But Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. Set yourself aside to live in Christ. And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, am I living in Christ? Does that describe my life? Is Christ filling your emptiness? Because without Christ, there's, there's a place in us that can only be filled by Him. We try to fill it with other things, but it doesn't, doesn't satisfy. It doesn't work. And so my encouragement this morning is for you to live in Christ, to trust in Him, to live for Him. Because if you have faith in Jesus, you've been buried and raised in Him, and you've been rooted in Him. And that excites me. Because if you're rooted in Him, you can be built up in Him, and you can grow in Him, and you can bear fruit, and you can find the design for your life. And so my encouragement this morning is to find your life in Christ, to live in Him.